greetings, everyone. It is a real pleasure to be able to be recording this uh, sermon for the Spring Holy Days, uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, I believe it will be played on the first day. Uh, hope you are having a wonderful Holy Day. It, it always is such a joy and so exciting and so meaningful to be keeping the Holy Days especially these days. It seems like as our world is going crazy around us, the holy days are a just a breath of fresh air and uh, wonderful to be in that time period uh, every time that it comes around. We are observing the first day of the Days of Unleavened Bread, uh, which harkens back to the Israelites coming out of Egypt, of course. Also, we are living in the end times today. Now, what could possibly be similar between our day now and something that happened about 3,400 years ago, the Israelites coming out of Egypt? Surely there's nothing similar about our environments, our situation, our circumstances. Could there? Actually, there's quite a lot. And as we rehearse every year at this time, we really go through many, many similar circumstances uh, as even though we are separated by millennia, as uh, the Israelites were were coming out of Egypt, coming out of uh, enslavement, bondage, and moving toward a promised land, we also are coming out of a very dark age and in a time of transition and looking forward to moving into uh, the kingdom, moving into the time of the millennium when God's kingdom will be on this earth, reigning on this earth. So a lot of parallels. Let's turn over to Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 1 to start off. Uh, we read in Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 1, And the Eternal spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. These are my feasts. And then in verse 4, these are the feasts of the eternal holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do do no customary work on it. So uh, we are keeping the first day of unleavened bread. And God preserved these days. He preserved this understanding, if you think about it, for generations and for decades and centuries and even millennia. It's, It's quite a... Quite a miracle even in itself that we are aware and we have a written record of what happened and we can study it and we can understand it and we can also be encouraged by what happened when the Israelites came out of Egypt as we are coming out of our own Egypt and we're coming out of sin and we are on the cusp of entering a new world. Now, as we think about some of the examples of things that happen, uh, some people who live through these times we're going to talk about may not have felt like it was such an encouraging story. They may have felt like it uh, there was a lot of hard times, a lot of difficulties, <clears throat> and I think we can agree with that. And yet God delivered them over and over again. And so there is a lot that we can see and we can derive and be encouraged from as we look at it today. So for the sermon, if you'd like a title, let's explore Exodus and End Time Encouragement. Exodus and End Time Encouragement. We'll highlight several episodes uh, of things that happened to the Israelites and see how these accounts can relate to our lives today, things that we are going uh, through, will go through, and even appreciating more and more how God uh, intervenes in our life today and looking forward to Him intervening in the future, even in these end times. So let's consider several different situations 
that we can find ourselves in just as the Israelites did. So to start off, number one. Number one, a first situation that we might find ourselves in that they definitely did. Number one, when it gets worse before getting better. When it gets worse before getting better. You know, sometimes what we do, we think, we hope, we look forward to things getting better, and yet on the short term, they actually get worse, and it can be quite discouraging. Let's talk about a little bit of the story of Moses returning from to Egypt after being in the wilderness for 40 years for training, and he came back to deliver a wonderful message to explain to the children of Israel that they were going to be set free. And we pick it up in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 29. Exodus chapter 4 and verse 29. And notice, we read in verse 29, Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel, and Aaron spoke all the words which the Eternal had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed, and when they heard that the Eternal had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. This is the introduction to the story. This is what happened as the children of Israel had been slaves and Moses came back with good news. Moses came back with a message, and he said, You are going to be free. You will no longer be slaves. Your prayers have been answered. They were excited. They were going to leave Egypt. This long nightmare was going to be over. This is the introduction to this part of the story. The children of Israel have been in slavery, and Moses came back with good news. He said, You have been slaves, but you're going to be free. And your prayers have been answered. And just think about how excited they would have been. They were going to leave Egypt. The long nightmare was over. And notice in chapter 5 and verse 1. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the eternal God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And of course, Pharaoh was elated and excited and and actually offered to lend them wagons and horses and chariots and and guards, right? Well, not exactly. Uh, We know the story. That's not how he responded at all. In fact, it says in verse 2, Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So they explained that the eternal, the God of the Hebrews, had met with them and uh, was asking that and was saying that they were required to go three days journey into the desert and sacrifice to the eternal. And then notice in verse four, then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now and you make them rest from their labor. So verse 6, the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves, and you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the men that they may labor in it, and let them not regard false words. Do you ever feel like your boss is a problem? <laughs> Do you ever feel like you have a dead end job? Well, how about if you had Pharaoh for a boss? I would say the Israelites were in a difficult situation, weren't they? Talk about a dead end job, and in fact, it was going nowhere fast and getting worse. They thought they were going to be delivered, and instead of Pharaoh letting them go, he said, you're filling these people's minds, that words that are distracting them, 
They obviously have too much time on their hands. They can gather their own straw, and I'm going to make their situation worse. So, of course, chapter 5 and verse 14, it says, Also the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as before? So three days have passed, and the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, uh, Why are you dealing with us this way? There's no straw given your servants, and they say to us to make brick. And indeed, your servants are, uh, are beaten, but the fault is your own people. And notice in Exodus chapter 5, and verse uh, verse 17, but Pharaoh said, you are idle, idle. Therefore, you say, let us go and sacrifice to the eternal. Therefore, go now and work for no straw shall be given you. Yet you shall deliver the quota of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble. After it was said, you shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. They were in trouble. They were in big trouble. Now, You might say, I thought this was going to be a sermon about encouragement. And it is. But things are going backwards, not forwards. And they are. Because sometimes things do go backwards for a while before getting better. Sometimes things get worse and not better. And we are on our way out of this world. We are... On our way out of spiritual Egypt, we are coming out of bondage. We have a bright future ahead, but the God of this world doesn't want us to leave any less than Pharaoh didn't want the children of Israel to leave. And he did everything he could to stop them, and the God of this world will do the same. The point is the Israelites were in a horrible situation And sometimes we can be discouraged because things don't get better, they actually get worse. You know, you hear news stories about employers harassing employees because of religious beliefs. Mr. Weston mentioned one of these about a year ago in one of the co-worker letters. In February 18, 2021, he said, My secretary, Monica, forwarded me this short message she received from a fellow worker here at our Charlotte offices. Quote, My sister just quit her good-paying job as the manager of a well-known international coffee shop franchise. She just walked out. She said she told, they told her that she is required to seek out and hire gays and trans, and they are to get special treatment basically heralded and put on a pedestal. She said it was against her moral code. And so she had to look for another job. You know, of course, more recently, uh, the vaccination issue has become a flashpoint for some uh, having problems with their employment. Our world is getting harder to navigate, not easier in many ways. Uh, One lady... One member recently uh, told me how she was going back to college and was taking a class where the professor first asked, who is a Christian here? And a handful of people raised their hands, and then the professor proceeded to berate them, berate their religion, and basically the whole semester, they were fair game. They were the punching bag. She said it was horrible. So why bring this up? Well, to make the point that this is not going away. As Mr. Weston has explained from time to time, this is the new normal. It's just the way it is. We're going to have to live with it. Without compromising, without giving up, we're going to have to navigate difficult times without being swayed by it, without being changed by it. We're going to have to work through it. We're going to have to endure and not be discouraged and definitely not get in an angry spirit ourselves even as the world around us does. The Israelites were in a bad spot. What should they have done? Well, they should have cried out to God for help, for understanding, for mercy, for patience. Instead, what do they do? They blame the messenger. Exodus 5 and verse 20. Then as they came out from Pharaoh... 
They met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, Let the eternal look on you and judge, because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. You know, it's just a few days earlier when they were lauding Moses as a as a wonderful man, as a deliverer, as the one who would save them from all their troubles. And now look at how they were talking to him. You're the problem. You're the one who has caused us all this difficulty. Why did you do it? What are you doing? We know it wasn't Moses' fault, but how many times do we see, even in our modern age, Sometimes even in the church, we have an unexpected trial in the church, um, and some people wind up blaming the ministry. Sometimes people wind up blaming the, the leadership, and yet it's a trial that we all must get through. Sometimes it's a it's something external thrust on us, and um, <clears throat> and we we have to deal with it. So Moses went to God. He reiterated. God reiterated what he was going to do and how he was going to deliver the people. But when Moses went back to the people, notice how they responded. Exodus chapter 6 and verse 9. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. You know, brethren, could something come up in the future as yet unforeseen, something that we don't yet uh, see coming our way, but that will put immense stress on us, will be an outside force, and for some reason we wind up losing confidence and trust in the leadership that God has put over us. We have to be very careful. God did resolve this situation. But it took a little time. It took a little patience. God worked it out. Whatever situation we find ourselves in, brethren, we can put our faith and trust in God. And and frankly, reading this story can be very encouraging for us as we find ourselves living in a difficult and darkening time just before Christ's return. So, sometimes as we are living in our day, we can be in situations when things get worse and not better. And we have to be patient. We have to look to God. We ask, have to ask for his help, and he will guide and deliver. <clears throat> What's another situation we can find ourselves in in these days? Number two, when our backs are up against the wall. When our backs are up against the wall. After the Israelites left Egypt, uh, Pharaoh pursued them, and according to tradition... They came up to the Red Sea on the last day of Unleavened Bread, and we find that uh, uh, related in Exodus chapter 14 and verse 8. Exodus chapter 14, verse 8. And the Eternal hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, all his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea beside Pi-Hahiroth before Baal-Zephon. And uh, in verse 10, And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Eternal. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt again? So they're blaming Moses again. Now, before we come down too hard on the Israelites, let's understand this was a real problem. You know, the lashes of the taskmasters were real. The whips and the the beatings were real from the taskmasters. The fact that Pharaoh's army was bearing down on them was real. No straw for bricks was real. This was all very, very in front of them, and they could not get away from it. And so, you know, we... 
How, how, how would we do in that situation? I don't know. Then it says, <clears throat> verse 12, Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? Now, I've always thought, well, they just had collective amnesia, uh, that they were making this up, but maybe they didn't. Stop for a moment and think, maybe they didn't. Because remember, just a few minutes ago, we were reading about how uh, when they were made to make bricks with no straw, they said, it says in Exodus 6, 9, So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. You know, they might have said, let us alone. They might have said, things have only gotten worse Since you came around, leave us alone, leave us in Egypt. We don't want any part of what you're doing. Go away. They might have been telling this accurately, you know. But notice, again, in Exodus 15, verse 13, Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still. See the salvation of the eternal which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The eternal will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. So let's get this straight. You've got the sea to their backs. You've got the mountains to their sides. And you've got the Pharaoh's army bearing down on them. And Moses just said, it's going to work out all right. So, how encouraging is that? Do we see a theme developing? I think we can, in one perspective, we can see horrible situation after horrible situation that the Israelites were in. They were horrible. Their backs were against the wall. But... They got better. And that's the point. God did intervene. And I think we can be encouraged by that. When our backs are against the wall. Now we read the rest of the story. We read the end of the story. And it's easy to just gloss over what happened. But brethren, when our backs are up against the wall, perhaps in different ways, we we feel it, don't we? Whether it's a financial issue or a family issue or a personal issue or a job issue. What's happening in our day? We see society breaking down. Immorality called righteousness. And those who want to do the right thing more and more being persecuted for that. We see division and controversy. We see confrontation. We see a mob mentality. And we see at some point persecution coming on us individually, collectively, in the church. Where does all this go? Uh, What happens when a society collapses, which is what we are facing? What does it look like when a nation implodes? You know, we are living in a difficult time, and it's going to get more difficult. That's why these days are encouraging. Because we can be encouraged by what they went through. We can be encouraged by when they, when things got worse for them instead of getting better. We can be encouraged when, when our, when their backs were up against the wall. And yet, in both situations, God did intervene. God did work it out. Moses had confidence in God. It's really amazing when you look at the example of Moses, because he didn't know exactly how God was going to work it out, and yet he had confidence. Notice uh, Exodus 14 and verse uh, 13. Do not be afraid. Stand still, again, uh, and see the salvation of the Lord for which he will accomplish for you today. And uh, notice in verse 15, the Eternal said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. <clears throat> So we know the story. The Egyptians followed and were drowned. The Israelites were saved. And just like God said he he would do. But up until that time, there were times when their backs were against the wall. 
What does this have to do with our time? Will there be a time when we are even at the very end where where we're in very difficult times and yet God miraculously delivers the church, miraculously delivers his his faithful and his zealous people. Absolutely. And we'll look at that a little bit later in the sermon. <clears throat> Sometimes God's intervention is not the, the, the big miracles of the Red Sea. Sometimes it's private situations that he works out for us when our backs are up against the wall. As I was talking about before, you know, uh, sometimes we think of victories in the big sense but we also can think of it in, in small encouragements when he gives us victory over sin, when he helps us to th- through difficult things in our personal life. <clears throat> when he opens the Red Sea, he wants us to walk forward. In our personal life, we can overcome through the blood of the Lamb, as it says there in Revelation. We've been examining ourselves for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, as we do that, we need to be thinking, you know, maybe there's something I need to do differently. Maybe there, maybe there are areas in my life where I've grown, where I, ha- I, have, I have made progress, and I can see that, and I'm encouraged. But this one area over here, I, I really need to focus on that going forward. And he doesn't, God doesn't want us to get stuck in self-examination. He doesn't want us to get stuck in a loop of self-loathing, brethren. And sometimes I think we can misunderstand self-examination and think it's self-loathing, and it's not. God is, is about delivering us. God is about setting us free. But along the way, there may be trials. Along the way, there are times when we might feel like we have our backs against the wall, and all our options are closing. But God will help us through. What's one step that you have determined you need to take a step forward in? Maybe it's a change in how we relate to others, our mate or our children or our boss or a coworker, or a brother or sister at church. One little thing that we can do differently. Well, now's the time to make that change and go forward. Maybe we've let down in some aspect of our spiritual life. Maybe we're not praying or studying as much as we we should. Maybe we're not staying as close to God as we need to. And now's the time to say, okay, I, I really need to step this up. I really need... It's not all about my efforts. I understand that. But, but I need to put more effort into seeking God, staying close to Him, uh, being with Him, walking with Him, asking for His help in situations. Maybe that's what I need to do as we're going through things. And, and maybe I've, I have a personal issue that I've been struggling with, a personal Goliath. Um, you know, that I need to wrestle with. What do we need to do to take that step forward now? Uh, these issues, these stories, these, these relating of historical events, and that's what Exodus is doing, these can be parallels and, and can be encouraging to us as we face trials in the end time because that's exactly what they were going through in the time of the Exodus, and there's a lot of parallel. So as we are coming out of our Egypt and marching toward the promised land, the the millennial reign of Jesus Christ on this earth and our entrance into the kingdom, we need to have faith when things get worse before they get better. We need to have faith when our backs are up against the wall, that God will still deliver us. Number three, another situation we can find ourselves in when funds are low and supplies are low too. When funds are low and supplies are low too. Notice in Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17, this of course is as the Israelites were now going through the wilderness, we find a, a dropping into the middle of the story here. 
there, uh, verse 1, let's start in Exodus 17, verse 1. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Eternal, and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Eternal? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Eternal, saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And so as we go on, we, we read the story. And uh, he was instructed to take a uh, rod and <clears throat> then strike the rock. In this case, he was instructed to strike the rock. So that's what he did. And water came out of it and the people uh, would drink. But it was, uh, it was named, that the name of that place became Masa and Meribah because of the contention, this is in verse 7, contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, is the eternal among us or not? You know, that's a strong accusation. Is God with us or not? Now, again, reality check, these were real problems. They had no water. They were in serious, serious situation, being out in the desert without water. You know, I, I lived in um, Tucson, Arizona for a time, and that's a serious problem to be, you know, trekking through the desert without water, and um, that's a really difficult situation. But he was going to test them, actually, in, in, back in Exodus chapter 16, and uh, verse 4, we read, this is just backing up a little bit, <clears throat> The Eternal said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. People shall go out and gather a certain quote every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. It's interesting. So God was going to test them. And again, here we find this same theme, that things get worse before they get better. Sometimes our backs are up against the wall before there's deliverance. Sometimes the funds are low and supplies are low before we get the blessings. And again, we can put ourselves in their shoes that this was difficult. And do we ever worry about the future? You know, now in the news, uh, we're hearing about hyperinflation, and we're already seeing inflation uh, taking hold. What if we can't afford, or what if it gets more difficult to afford our basic needs of food? and our housing, and clothing, and transportation, and water. Again, the trends in our country are not going in the right direction. <clears throat> we had, when I was growing up, uh, a family friend who had uh, been in Germany post-war in uh, after uh, World War One, in between the time of World War One and World War Two, and uh, witnessed that what it was like when hyperinflation uh, made, uh, you know, <clears throat> a, a, as he put it, a wheelbarrow full of money just to buy a loaf of bread. And this was real. This was what happened. This was what he experienced. You know, why, why do we need to talk about this? Well, because, again, our nation is going downhill, and we are going to implode. And for much of our history, at least in recent history, the future has always been brighter. Much of our history, at least those of us who are alive, uh, it always, well, the next generation will, will be able to, to be a little bit better situated, a little bit better off. And there isn't a whole lot of sunshine right now for the next generation because things are going in the wrong direction. And brethren, that's why we need to read Exodus. That's why we need to read the account. That's why we need the Holy Days to recount 
their trek out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery, and the difficulties they had along the way, as we look at our trek out of spiritual Egypt and this world that is in transition and going closer to Christ's return, and yet there are birth pangs that are happening now and are going to increase. And we can be encouraged by the challenges, by the the deliverance from the challenges that we read about. Psalm chapter 78, Psalm 78, let's go there uh, briefly. We read some things about uh, the Israelites here. Psalm 78 in itself is an interesting summation of the Israelites' experience as they were coming out out of Egypt and what God did for them. And by reading through this, we it helps us remember who we are dealing with, who God really is. Who is our Savior? How much power does He really have? What are the things that are important to Him? When we're facing challenges, we don't know exactly what's around the, the next bend. We don't know why our backs are up against the wall. We don't know why it's getting worse before it gets better. We don't know why we're struggling with even putting food on the table It's important we understand who God is and the power he has and the mercy he has. Psalm 78 and verse 12, notice. Psalm 78, verse 12. Marvelous things he did in the sight of their fathers, the the Israelites, in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through. He made the water stand up like a heap. In the daytime also he led them with a cloud. All the night with a light of fire, he split the rocks in the wilderness. He gave them drink in abundance like the depths. He also brought streams out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. Miraculously, amazingly. Verse 17, But they sinned even more against him by rebelling against the Most High in the wilderness. They tested God in their heart by asking for the food of their fancy. Yes, they spoke against God. They said, Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Behold, he struck the rock so that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide meat for his people? They tested God even though they had seen what he did. Oh yeah, he's done that in the past, but... I'm in a problem right now. What is he going to do for me now? Brethren, we always need to keep in the forefront of our mind who and what, who God is and what he's doing and how powerful he is and how much he cares for us and how much he's going to deliver us as we look to him and as we walk with him. We need to remember who he is. You know... How difficult is it to build, oh, I don't know, the sun, you know, or, or the earth, or to, to fashion the surface of the earth and then to, as I think it talks about in, uh, in Job, uh, telling the, the, the mighty waves, this is where you stop. How, who, who can do that? Who can possibly Craft the mountains. We were in a hike a few years ago in the mountains, and uh, and it just struck me as we were cresting over some of these hills and looking out a, along a beautiful vista of, of mountain ridges that you know we we build big things uh, as as mankind in cities and skyscrapers, and we we build some amazing things, and yet you get out in the wild. And you you hike around a little bit, and anything we build is nothing compared to the the smallest things that God has built. The the mountains, which are just a small portion of the entire planet, which is just a a tiny dot in this solar system. And the solar system is just a dot in the galaxy, and the galaxy is just a small part of the entire universe. Who are we really dealing with? How much power does God really have? Can he provide a table in the wilderness? Can he take care of us? Do we believe that he can take care of us? 
This is what they stumbled against over and over again. Notice in verse 36, Nevertheless, they flattered him with their mouth. They lied to him with their tongue. Their heart was not steadfast with him, nor were they faithful in his covenant. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. Yes, many a time he turned away his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh in spite of their attitudes and in spite of their rebellion even and contention and and lack of faith and even accusing him and Moses whom he had sent. He knew and he recognized and he remembered that they were just flesh. So he forgave because they're a breath that passes away and does not come again. But verse 40, but how often they provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Yes, again and again they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power. Brethren, could we be guilty of limiting God? You know, when you think back to the story of the bricks and the straw, Again, not making light of how difficult their situation was. But who was their deliverer? Who made the bricks? Who made the straw? Their deliverer. It wasn't Moses. It was God who was going to deliver them. Was God capable of helping them through that trial? Now, I know when you're the one having to make the bricks without straw, it's always harder. It's a whole lot easier to to talk about it and um, armchair quarterback, as they say. But really, was God not capable of providing their needs? Maybe sometimes we've seen that where it just doesn't seem like things are going to add up. We just don't see how... By the end of the month, we're going to have enough to pay all the bills. And yet, if we put God first, if we put him first, if we really are are putting a priority on serving him, some somehow it does. You know, if we're faithful with our tithes, if we're faithfully seeking him and serving him, somehow it works out. How many times does that happen? The point is, he owns everything. All the gold and the silver is his, God says. If we're struggling financially, if we're struggling with bills, if we're going to be struggling with inflation, losing the value of what we have, what we're making, struggling with the cost of daily needs, brethren, who is our father? And and we must not limit him. So we're talking about situations that we find ourselves in just like the Israelites were in back then. Things getting worse when we think they should get better. Things, situations where we find ourselves with our backs against the wall and and no seemingly good option. And also when resources are down and prices are up and, and, and our funds are low. What about a fourth situation? Number four, when it seems we're suffering along with the world. When it seems we're suffering along with the world. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5. If we jump back into the story again of, of the Exodus and what was happening in Egypt before they left... Of course, it didn't start off well. They had a setback. Uh, they were given the, the same quota of bricks, but less straw. But before long, God began to intervene in Egypt and bring terrible plagues on Egypt. And notice Exodus chapter 8 and verse 20. This is breaking into the fourth uh, plague of flies. But it says, uh, the Eternal said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out of the water, to the water. Then say to him, Thus says the Eternal, Let my people go that they may serve me, or else if you will not let my 
you will not let my people go. Behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants, on your people, and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies, and also the ground on which they stand. In that day, notice this, verse 21, 22, I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord, the Eternal, in the midst of the land, I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall be. And the Eternal did so. Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, and into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies. That's exactly what happened. And from then on, you read that, that all of the plagues, in all of the plagues, the Israelites were protected. Now, our assumption is before this point, they were not shielded from the plagues. That, that's, that seems to be the assumption, the indication, because there's such a specific reference here where he was going to make a separation. So think about it for a moment. What that means is the Israelites went through the first several plagues. That means that they had to dig wells for water when the the waters of the Nile turned to blood. That means that they had to deal with the frogs that were covering the land and uh, they were having to deal with the the inconvenience and the stench. Um, That means that the lice as well. Now, again, it's conjecture. It doesn't say exactly, but it, it seems to be that the Israelites were dealing with those three plagues. So if that happened, put yourself in their shoes. Would that not have been a little bit confusing? Like, why are we suffering? We're the people who are, you're letting go, God. Why are, why are you making us suffer along with the Egyptians? They're the bad guys. We're the good guys. Do you think that might not have been a little bit discouraging? Brethren, we are living in some interesting times, as we've heard described. Just take this COVID situation. All of us have suffered to one degree or another because of this pandemic. This thing that God is using to humble our nation. And, of course, there are other other parts of it, other things that are happening as well. Uh, But we're in the middle of it, aren't we? We're not immune to the effects of it. We have to suffer to some degree because of what's happening. And we are grateful that God has protected so many of us from, from very serious effects. Some have even died because of it. Uh, but overall, in balance, I think very, very few. And most have have uh, recovered and uh, not perhaps been have, have to suffer as much as many people out in the world, so to speak. Nonetheless, we are having to deal with living in this world, aren't we? And the things that are coming upon this world. What's next? You know, Mr. Armstrong, years ago, years ago, Uh, one of the things that he warned us about in the church was prepare to lower your standard of living. He said there was going to be a time when as this nation begins to implode that God's people who are living in this country, living uh, around this world as as the whole world is is sucked into really a, a, a situation that affects uh, everywhere in so many ways and so many uh, situations. But he said, you know, the, the, we're going to have to be ready and prepared to live on a lower standard of living. At no better time should we take no warning than now. Because we can see this is happening around us. Now, will God take care of us? I believe so. Will he provide for us? I believe so, absolutely. If we're walking with him, if we have our hand in his hand, if we're submitting our lives to him, if we're seeking for his help, 
But will we taste some of the difficulties that our world is experiencing in the United States as well as uh, overseas and other places in, in, in the UK and in Africa and Australia and in Canada, South America? I, I, are, are we all going to be suffering along with the world to some degree? Absolutely. Absolutely. But there will become a time when God separates his people. Let's turn over to Revelation chapter 12. And there's just seems to be so many parallels with what we read there in Exodus uh, about the, the fourth plague when God separated the land of Goshen. Notice what it says in Revelation 12. And verse 12, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows he has a short time. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. We're talking about uh, persecution on the church and then a protection in a place of safety, in a place of refuge, a place of separation for God's people. Verse 15, So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So there comes a time in the end time when God makes a separation and puts a hedge around his faithful and zealous People, we will need that, won't we? It's prophesied. It's going to happen. He says it right here. The only question is if we will be those people. The only question is if we will be so close to God and so in tune with His will and so guided by Him and submitting our lives to Him that yes, we're willing to lay down our lives if necessary. But also, he promises protection for the church, by and large, those faithful and, and zealous ones. There, there also is, an, is a, um, a mention here that some are not protected. So that's something to, to think about in terms of are we really walking with God every day? Are we really letting him clean us up? Are we really coming out of sin as these days tell us to do but it is promised it is promised and prophesied that there will be a separation <clears throat> so are we li living in difficult times absolutely let's turn to second timothy chapter 3 and verse 1 paul writes but know this that in the last days perilous times will Come. The margin says times of stress. Are we entering times of stress? Are we in times of stress? Are they going to get worse before they get better? That's what the indication is. We're going to have to, for a while, make bricks with less straw. We're going to have to, for a while, be in situations where our backs are against the wall. For a while, we're going to have to deal with having... Fewer funds and maybe fewer supplies. For a while, we're going to have to deal with experiencing a taste of the plagues of, let, let's say, the, the situations and the, the curses that are coming on our nations because we are living in Satan's world. For a while, we'll have to do that, but it's not going to last forever. God will help us. Notice... 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1. 
Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, these things became our examples. Now, we normally read these over in looking at the bad examples that they gave and a warning that we don't want to fall into that. Verse 11, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So they are for us to learn from. But I'd like to turn it a little bit in a different way here and think about, are these examples not written also for our being able to see that the trials they went through, they didn't respond well to them, but the trials they went through, God was faithful. The trials they went through, God delivered them. Even though they had a very narrow vision and they didn't respond well, God had a plan. He had something worked out. And those we can learn from, those we can think about, those examples of how great God was can be encouraging for us upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Does God test us? Absolutely. I remember coming out of around the time that Worldwide was having the apostasy. A friend of mine uh, and I were having a discussion, and I was bringing up the, the thought that, you know, these these things are a test for us all. And he made a statement. He said, God doesn't test the church. God doesn't allow these things to happen as a as a as a test or as a barometer or something to just to see what we will do. And at that point in time I couldn't put my finger on the the specific verse, but afterward I found it. And my friend was was dead wrong. Was absolutely dead wrong. God does test us. He tested the Israelites. He's going to test his church. Not because he hates us or hated them, but he wants to know what we really believe and what we really think is important. Notice what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and uh, in verse 1. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Eternal swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Eternal, your God, led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. Does God humble us? Does God test us so that He knows what we think? He knows what's important to us. He knows what we'll do under pressure. He knows what we'll do when our backs are up against the wall. He knows what we'll do when things seem to get worse before they get better. He knows what we'll do when funds are low and and stocks are low too. He knows what we'll do when we're suffering along with the world to some degree because of what's happening, because of Satan's world. Will we blame him? Will we, we, we lash out? Will we blame the leadership of the church? Will we forsake it all? Will we walk away? Will we give up? He has to know what is in our heart because he's in the process of giving us victory over sin. And that's the big picture as we are coming out of our Egypt. And that's why we're here. And that's why we're going through the days of unleavened bread Eating unleavened bread, which symbolizes feeding on Jesus Christ. He says in verse 3, He humbled you, He allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that He might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Eternal. 
Man does not live by bread alone. Have you ever heard that statement somewhere? That's exactly what Christ said. When he was being tested in a, in a horrible trial, in a difficult trial, by the devil, by Satan the devil, and yet he resisted. And the victory was his. Notice in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 14. We're going to need strength and courage to endure. But God has what we need. God knows what we need. And he's there for us and he will deliver us. Yes, not always in the way we would want or as soon as we would want. But he's got our back. He will work it out. He will help us as we walk with him. So let's turn to Exodus chapter 12 and verse 15. Exodus 12, verse 15. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation, which is what we're doing on the first day today. And on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for on this same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. So what's the big picture? Well, the big picture is supplied by the holy days. And that's why they're so important. That's why it's so vital that we keep the holy days every year because it allows us to be refreshed and to be washed and in our minds washed and, and soaked in this truth and helps us to to think through what is important and what's really happening and what are we going through and why are we going through it and what is the help that we have at our disposal and what do we need to do in the meantime as we are walking with God. We need to feed on Christ and we need to let go of sin and we need to remove sin out of our lives as we remove leaven out of our homes. Passover represents Jesus Christ sacrificed for us. He was sinless. He was perfect. He never sinned. And so he was the sacrifice, the absolute perfect sacrifice that covers our sins. And during the days of unleavened bread, we eat unleavened bread because leaven represents sin and we are to get sin out of our lives and replace it with the unleavened bread of righteousness. So the big picture is God is bringing us out of sin and giving us the victory, ultimately to be born into his kingdom. But along the way, there will be setbacks, brethren, and we've only just begun. But I think this story is is so encouraging for us to read. And it's not just a story, it's history. And it's been preserved for thousands of years. It's been written and and preserved so that we can take courage and we can understand when there are times we may be suffering along with the world, we may be having our backs against the wall, we may, you know, things may get worse before they get better, we may have funds low and, and resources and stocks low, but God will take care of us if we look to him in faith and trust and he will work it out. Brethren, let's keep a fixed and clear mind on just who God is, how powerful he is, how wonderful he is, how forgiving he is, how merciful he is, how loving he is. And let's thank God for that because that's what we need. He has a plan. He's working it out. He's going to bring this whole world into a relationship with him. And he's just given us a, an early opportunity to do that. And he's given us a chance to be a part of the work of of helping the rest of the world come into a relationship with him. If we're willing to put our faith and our trust in him and walk with him. 
So what do you do when life throws curveballs and setbacks and trials at you? Well, this Feast of Unleavened Bread teaches us exactly what to do.